0: you may be sitting there thinking, I didn't know we were studying 1 Thessalonians. Well, that's probably because it's been about a year uh, since we've picked back up in this book. But we started this book and just stepping through it expositionally, looking at these verses and this letter that Paul wrote to this church. And actually, last time we finished chapter 2 and we'll be picking up in chapter 3, looking at verse 1. Say amen this morning if you haven't. All right, let's read it this morning first, eight verses of chapter 3, and then we will open with a word of prayer. It says, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all of our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. Verse 8, for now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you again for this time that we can gather together, Father. I thank you for the opportunity that we can open up your word, God, read from it and learn from it. And Father, I just pray that you would be with us all this morning, God, as we see these truths in this passage of Scripture. God, as we understand the context of what was going on when Paul wrote this letter and and the people that he's writing to. And Father, help us to see these always relevant, always eternal truths that apply to us even today. Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for this opportunity again, Lord. And just pray that you'd bless it. Lord, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you, church, have you ever taken an embarrassing fall of any kind? stifled, embarrassing laughter, sure, right? I remember one in particular, I told this to our youth, I believe this last week, I have an older brother, two older brothers actually, a twin brother and then an eldest brother. And you all know how older brothers are, right? Yes, especially mine, his name is Jeremy. And I remember he was about 16 years old, so I was about 14, and he had just began driving. And he had this single-cab Chevy truck. And I remember climbing in the bed of the truck. I don't know why I trusted him, but I did. I climbed in the bed of this truck, and I was grabbing something out of my then-school backpack. And I remember I was towards the end of the tailgate, and all of a sudden, Jeremy, being Jeremy, began moving the truck forward. And I yelled, out of reflex, stop. And I've joked, this is the one time that Jeremy has actually listened to me. He slammed on his brakes, and if you know anything about physics... I flew to the cab of the truck, slammed my back into the cab of the truck, and and I fell and I got out really mad. And it was funny because at 14 years old, I just began walking away. I didn't know where I was going. I was just leaving. I had to get out of there, right? But I remember this question he asked, and maybe you have heard this question as well. Maybe it's after the laughter or through the laughter, and it's this question with three words. It's, are you okay? Anyone ever heard that before? Are you okay? Again... In a situation like that, it's normally after or through laughter. We ask this question through humorous equations, but we also ask that question through difficult times that we often face, asking ones that are close to us, friends, family, hey, are you okay with this situation that you have gone through or this thing that you have experienced? It is a question of concern for the well-being of those around us. And as we keep that in mind, remember 1 Thessalonians is Paul's question of concern for the people at Thessalonica. Their affliction, although we can laugh and joke about taking a fall like that, their affliction and the thing that they were going through where Paul checked on them and was checking on them, it was no laughing matter. They had experienced tragedy, temptation, and persecution, and it plagued this young church. Now remember, as we talk about this church at Thessalonica, it was not a very old church. It was not very established. And we'll talk about that more in just a moment. But really the question is, as we come back and remember some of these things about this little church, how did they respond to these things? I want you to do do me a favor. Just keeping your spot there in chapter 3, just flip a page or two over and find chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. And we really see how this church was responding and was living during this time of affliction and difficulty. First Thessalonians 1, verse 8 and 9, it says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. What a testimony of a little church. For Paul the Apostle to look at the way that they were living in the midst of affliction and say, the word of the gospel has sounded forth from you. Even though you're going through these difficult things, even though you're going through this affliction, you are still standing and remaining as the church. And as we keep that in mind this morning, we continue this letter of encouragement as Paul recaps his intentions behind this letter. And also we will see an instruction to stand. Firstly, I want us to look at verse 1 and 2 as we remember the background of struggle at Thessalonica. Look there verse 1 and 2 with me. Paul writes, he says, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. Now, if you... Are needing a reminder, or maybe you've never actually looked, I encourage you to go home, look up Acts chapter 17, because that's where you see the beginning of this church. Paul and Silas, on Paul's second missionary journey, they go into this town of Thessalonica, and they begin sharing the gospel. Now, if you know much about Paul and his ministry, often when he went into a town or into an area, there was normally some kind of an angry mob that followed after him. Everyone know what I'm talking about? An angry group of people, and it was not uncommon for Paul to experience that. But in this particular area, the pressure was so severe, it actually pushed Paul and Silas out of Thessalonica for their own safety and as well as the safety of this new church and their affiliation with Paul and Silas. So how long did Paul and Silas remain at Thessalonica? Remember, these are basically strangers. Paul and Silas moved into this area, they shared the gospel with them, and then they have to leave abruptly. Well, the scripture tells us and gives us a clue in that question, how long were they there? It says they were there for three Sabbath days. So about three to four weeks. That's not very long, is it, church? To think about breaking ground into a new area, sharing the gospel, giving the gospel, seeing a large amount of people come to faith in Christ and then have to leave after about three or four weeks. Now, from evangelism to the conversion of many, Paul, he typically desired to remain in the places he went, at least for a longer time than that, so that he could begin establishing and helping this young, new church. And That wasn't the case for Thessalonica. Paul was unable to do that. We see it there in verse 1. He says, therefore, when we could endure it no longer... So we had to send Timothy, that phrase, endure it no longer. Essentially, Paul is saying, we couldn't take it anymore. We couldn't stand it. We had to find out how you were doing. We knew the circumstances. We knew the affliction, the thing that pushed us out of there. So he sends Timothy and says, we couldn't stand this anymore. We had to find out how you were doing. Now, church, if we're not careful, we might miss a very important truth here. This act demonstrates to us the heart of the early church, not just in evangelism, but also in discipleship. It's been very, very cool for me. I'm going to use the word cool if that's okay this morning. As we've been stepping through Acts in our Sunday school in youth and and hearing about all of the, the adventures of Paul and these missionary journeys, what's been really incredible is seeing as Paul goes on these journeys, he goes back to these places. And the scripture is very clear, he is establishing them. He is discipling them. His heart, it broke for these people, not because he had not shared the gospel with them, but because he was unable to establish them in their faith. Do you see Paul's concern as he says, I can't, I couldn't endure it anymore, I couldn't stand it? Church, did you realize Paul he wasn't a traveling evangelist, he was a pastor. He was a pastor for these people in these churches that he started and established. His job was to evangelize, disciple, and equip the church with the gospel message. Again, his heart broke for these people, not because he did not share the gospel with them, but because he was unable to share his very life with them in discipleship. And that's where his fear was. His fear was that somehow they would be lacking in their faith due to their circumstances and the situation that they had experienced. And this prompted him and Silas to send Timothy. Now, what oftentimes can happen when we're looking at this narrative, this type of narrative in Scripture, is we can kind of miss the truths in this. So, so what can we learn about this? What can we learn about Paul's heart for this church as he sent Timothy to help strengthen and establish them? We can learn, church, that we should not just be concerned about evangelism. But we ought to be concerned about discipleship as well. It is not that we praise God just in the moment of someone's salvation. But that we are intentional in working to disciple and grow them in Christ. That is our job. That is what Christ calls us to do. Christian, do you share the gospel? Well, as a Christian, we ought to. Right? Charles Spurgeon said at best, I think, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Sure, we should share the gospel. We need to be about the, the gospel and sharing it and presenting it. We see it in our wantas, we see it in our youth, we see it in our adult ministries, absolutely. But do we disciple? Looking at Paul and his heart and how it broke for these people, does our heart break like Paul's when we miss an opportunity to disciple those around us? church, the Christian life is not just sharing about my faith. It is sharing my very life with those around me so that I might share Christ with them and that I might disciple them. In sharing part of who I am, it is in the purpose of discipleship. In our student ministries, in Awana, in youth, in every facet of ministry in this church. If you serve in a ministry in this church, I pray that that is a goal that you have in mind. Not just to share the gospel, but to disciple those who come to Christ. And not just in this church, in our very own lives. What does Jesus say in Matthew 28, verse 19, the Great Commission? You know this passage, very common passage. He says, go and make disciples. See, he doesn't just say, go and tell people about me. He says, go and make disciples. That encapsulates everything that we are to do as followers of Christ in evangelism and in Discipleship. Church, let me ask you, do you want something to be excited about? It starts to sound like a sales pitch now, right? We have the holidays coming up, right? We've we've had a crazy year, all the crazy things that have gone on. Do you want something to be excited about? Do do you want to experience one of the greatest joys in the Christian life? Then disciple someone with the news of Jesus Christ. Not, Not just sharing the gospel, but discipling. To share the gospel, to lead someone to Christ and to disciple them with the gospel message. It is so vital and so important that we get this picture. We call Paul a missionary, and again, he was, and he was an evangelist, and he was all these different parts, but he was a pastor, and he sought to establish and disciple these churches. And from this point, we should even see the need for discipleship, even risking our own safety to do so. And that's where we see the goal of Timothy in visiting this church. Look there in verse 2 with me. Paul says, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. Now, the goal of Timothy, it's twofold here, according to verse 2 in regards to their faith. Firstly, it is to strengthen their faith, to help establish, to firm it up. Also, the word, it can speak of a support, like we think of a column or a pillar in a Roman structure. This was the idea in sending Timothy, that he might, in going, strengthen and help continue establish their faith. And also it was to encourage them. Church, do we need a little bit of encouragement in our lives? Sure, absolutely. That was the goal of sending Timothy, to strengthen their faith and to encourage them in their faith. Now that word encouragement means to comfort but it also gives the idea of exhortation that's a bible word we don't really use it in normal speak today but it means to encourage to action like if you think of a coach or maybe a teacher who is vital in your life and and challenging you to do something that, that was the point in sending timothy to this church to strengthen them to encourage them but why Why did this church, why was Paul so concerned about this church? Not just the fact that he wasn't there very long, but what else was going on that they would prompt him to send Timothy back into this volatile situation? It was because of the church's struggle. Look there with me in verse 3. He said, We have sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. The sending of Timothy was so that the church would not be disturbed or shaken. You ever been in a close call situation or maybe even a slight car wreck of some kind? We we use the term, I was shaken. This this idea of being shaken of not thinking straight. That's the idea here in Paul saying we wanted to make sure you weren't disturbed by your difficulties. The fear was that the church's afflictions would bring some kind of disturbance or even a compromise to their faith as they faced this struggle. And it clues us in as Paul begins to mention their personal struggle. He brings up this point of affliction, this word that means tribulation, difficulty in this life. This church was going through struggle, going through tragedy, going through persecution. But again, it clues us in into the nature of Christian affliction. Look there again in verse 3 with me, the very last part of verse 3. He says, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. And when we use the word destiny, what do we tend to think of? Positive or negative things? You guys still with me? Am I still talking? Typically positive things, right? It's my destiny. Right, We hear that, that kind of Disney Channel ideology. It's my destiny to do this and go and do that. But but what is Paul talking about here? Again, for you yourselves know that we've been destined for this. What what have we been destined for? Paul's talking about that encouragement he mentioned a a minute ago, right? He's talking about being strengthened. And although that hopefully is in a church and being done by us and by others, that's, that's not what Paul is talking about here. He is speaking of Christian Affliction. He tells them, you are destined for this. To know Christ, to follow after Christ in the midst of a godless, secular society. Paul tells this church, you are destined for affliction. Does that apply to us today, church? Absolutely. Absolutely, it does. Not only is this reference, and we see in verse 4, he continues... Talking about it. Look there in verse 4 with me. It says, For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. It's like Paul is saying, hey, remember what we talked about. Remember, we said and told you we're going to suffer affliction. People aren't going to like us because of the message of Christ. They're not going to like you just like they haven't liked us. He says, don't be surprised by these things. Now, we live in this part of the country that has, during the spring, some, some difficult weather that we can face. Anyone know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I'm glad you guys had that reaction. It's living here. You know what it is, right? Tornado season, right? And, and someone moving in here, you tend to get to that subject eventually, like, hey, just so you know, don't be surprised by this. This is something that we expect every single year, is it not? With the change of this weather, we can expect tornado warnings, tornadic activity, this is the idea. It'd be strange for me, I've lived here in this area my whole life, it'd be strange for me to see that coming up every year and be like, oh my gosh, it happened again. I can't believe this. What's with all these tornadoes? We had some last year, isn't that enough? That, that's the idea of what Paul is speaking of here in regards to affliction. Don't be surprised by it. In fact, he says you should expect it. This is something that's going to happen in the Christian life, affliction is to be expected. It's interesting here, when we think about Paul's very short time at this church, one of the subjects that he covered in detail that he references here is Christian affliction. He was only with them about three or four weeks. And what subject does he he cross? He crosses the subject of affliction. You're going to face difficulty. Affliction, again, is to be expected for the follower of Christ. And, church, let me tell you, and this is countercultural to what we think about affliction and difficulty, as a Christian, we should even be thankful for it. Because it is a reminder to us. It is a reminder to us that we are to be dependent on God, faithful to Christ, and expectant of our future eternity. Should we really be that surprised that this life is difficult? It's not eternal, praise God, it's a temporary life. And as we study Christian history, and even from this point of the church to where we are now, Christian affliction, it's never stopped. It's just, as American Christians, it's been somewhat out of our line of sight. In many ways, we've been sheltered to the state of the majority of believers around the world. This year, 2020, will go down as the most persecuted year for the church. Across the globe it will be the most persecuted year every single year as the church grows and the gospel spreads affliction does as well christian affliction can be in the form of tragedy temptations and like we're seeing here in thessalonica and even persecution these things are to be expected and should never catch us by surprise and to repeat what paul says in verse 3 we have been destined for these things but even though affliction was expected, Paul, he still had the well-being of this church in mind. He was still concerned for them. Even though affliction is something that we are going to face and something we're going to not be surprised by, it still should bring a care and a concern. And that's what we see from Paul, especially whether or not they were living out their faith. And we see in verse 5 the repeated purpose of Paul in writing this letter. Look there in verse Thessalonians 3.5. Paul says, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. Paul, he again repeats himself concerning the sending of Timothy. Now, repetition, it it points to emphasis, but also this passage, this verse, it serves as a summary for the last few verses here in chapter 3. Again, Paul being unable to stand it, that's what led them to sending Timothy. Because their concern was that because of this affliction and this disturbance, Satan even would have come in and tempted them and caused their work to be in vain. However, we know that the report from Timothy, it was a glowing report about this church. Look there in verse 6 and 7 with me. We see the repeated report from Paul. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you, For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. Timothy's report was a great comfort to Paul. Because he went, concerned about this church, wanting to know how they were doing. And it was a report that was filled with news of a strong faith and a consistent love. As well as a continued thanks for Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Timothy was sent to comfort and encourage this church. But instead, this church, because of their faith and their display of love, comforted Paul and Silas and Timothy. Now, it's important to note here, Paul, what was he mainly concerned about? Was he mainly concerned about their physical well-being? Well, No, he doesn't say that. Was he mainly concerned about their financial status? No, that's not in here either. Or whether or not they were trendy according to the society around them or accepted. What was his concern for them? Their faith. He was concerned about their faith. It should bring things into perspective for us. As we face affliction, as we know this life at the very least isn't temporary. What is most important in this life? Whether or not someone has faith in Christ. Whether or not, believer, your faith is seen by those on the outside. That even when you face affliction, there is still a consistent, continued faith and love. Was their faith genuine? Was it taking a stand in the midst of difficulty? Could it be seen from the outside looking in? All of these questions that Paul had were answered and it was a yes to all of them. And because of their faith and their stand of faith in the midst of affliction, it brought great joy Paul. And we see from this recap of Paul's intended purpose and Timothy's report, he then moves to an instruction to stand. Look there in verse 8 with me. He says, For now we really live, if you stand firm in the Lord. The report from Timothy brought great joy to Paul. Even saying here in verse 8, in a sense, it, it breathed new life into them. He says, Now we really live, or now we live live. This is Paul acknowledging this refreshment he got from this report of faith that was displayed by this church at Thessalonica. And then he says to finish this verse, if you stand. Now, most English translations will use the word if, but some will use the word since. Really, this phrase, it's accomplishing two things in Paul saying this phrase to this church. It is both an accommodation. For their faith and the way that they have stood, but also it is a continued instruction for them, a continued command. Paul accommodates this church for their continued stance in the faith. They have stood the test of their affliction. They had remained, they had been faithful, they had even spread the gospel to the point, as chapter one we've seen earlier. The gospel was spread out from them, and they were known for it. Paul, Silas, and Timothy rejoice due to their continued stand. For the gospel. But just because they had stood, it did not mean that the work was over. Paul also, in this, is instructing them, commanding them to continue standing firm in the Lord. Continue standing. We're thankful you haven't wavered. We're thankful you haven't compromised, but the work's not done. Keep going. Keep standing. Keep doing what you've been called to do. Stand firm, it's one of Paul's favorite expressions for staying faithful to God in his gospel message. We see in Galatians, Philippians, and even again in 2 Thessalonians. It is an instruction to hold firm to that which is known. Never to waver, never to compromise, and always to remain steady in the goal of the gospel. Stand firm in the Lord. Church, we need this instruction today. Hey, I'm thankful you've been standing. We're thankful that we've been standing for the gospel all this time, but the work's not done. It's not over with. There's still an exhortation. Keep standing. Keep going. Don't stop. Discomfort and affliction, it brings about the temptation to waver in our faith. To to, to fall back or slide back and say, Well, I've stood for this long. Do I need to keep Going, trials, tragedy, and persecution, if we're not expectant of these things, it may bring bitterness that unfortunately can even lead to compromise. And church, I will warn you, as we see our world slip further into godlessness, our society falling and decaying more and more, we will see churches compromise. We will see the society, and already are seeing the society, pressuring us to change the message of the gospel. And we will see persecution on the rise. But for us, where we see churches compromise, we stand steady. We don't falter, we don't compromise. Where we see society pressuring to change the gospel, we never give in. And where we see persecution rise, even on us, we remain rooted firm in the faith of the gospel. You've been standing. Keep standing. Keep remaining with the gospel. In a time of affliction for the church at Thessalonica, there was a concern for the state of their faith, as well as an instruction to remain standing firm in the Lord. And Christian, as we close this morning, and and I want you to think of this passage and what we've been looking at, but I want you to reflect on two questions that we that we're, we're going to mention here, that we've seen in this passage. Number one, what is the state of your faith in times of affliction? We've already seen, we're destined for this. This is what's going to happen. We're going to face tragedy, temptation, and persecution. So when those things come, what is the state of your faith? Is there a continued faith, a continued love, and a continued thankfulness that can be seen from those on the outside looking in? And secondly, Will you continue standing for the gospel? Will you continue standing firm for the gospel? Never moving. Never compromising. Always faithful. Because Christian, Christ is always faithful to you. I pray he finds us faithful for him. Standing firm for the gospel. As we Close, I want you to look again there in verse 8 very quickly. Because there's something there that's vital to us standing firm. He says, for now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Hear me this morning. If you don't have Christ, you're not standing at all. You have nothing. Just like before I knew Christ, I had nothing. In fact, you aren't standing at all. You are following gradually into a place called hell. The only way we are able to stand as the church is because we have Christ and the message of Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't know Him, you're not standing. You are tempting fate when you walk out of these doors, remaining in your sin and lost. And understand, you can't save yourselves. Nobody can. I don't stand here this morning in front of you because I've done something to earn my salvation or keep my salvation. No. I am hopeless on my own, and you are hopeless on your own. So we ask, is there hope? Yes. Eternal hope. In the message and the work of Jesus Christ. What He's done for you, and what He will do in you, placing your faith in Him. So the call this morning, again, Christian, I encourage you to reflect on those two questions. What is the state of your faith in affliction? And will you continue standing? And again, if you're here this morning, you don't know Christ. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray this morning. I encourage you during this time to just simply reflect. Reflect on the passage of scripture we just studied. Reflect on the truths that we've seen. And reflect on those questions we ended with. Father, I thank you for this morning, God. I thank you for this opportunity again, Father, that we are able to to gather together freely and and study your word and grow in your word. And Father, I pray that everyone here, Father, we, we would reflect on the truths of this passage, God, we would apply them to our lives. And Father, that... As your children, we would be found faithful. And God, we would be found standing firm for the gospel. God, we need this now more than ever. God, I pray that we would stand firm. And God, I pray for anyone in here who doesn't know Christ. God, that you would convict them of their sins, that the Holy Spirit would draw them. Father, they would repent and trust in Christ for salvation. And, Father, as we close, I pray that our hearts are thankful. Thankful for Christ and what he has done for us. Father, without Christ and the sacrifice of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, we would have no hope. But because of Christ, we have eternal hope. Father, we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You would stand with us, please.